Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Again, good morning. Uh, my name is John. If we've never met before, I get to serve as the lead pastor. And uh, it looks a little weird in September to see a bunch of people wearing lays in Michigan. Am I wrong? I don't know. Like someone, yeah, that's just weird. But I think it's amazing at the same time. Like I love that our church can be weird and have a good time. And that's definitely what we're planning to do after the service is over. Uh, and here's why. There are a lot of weird people in our church. There's a lot of them, and you are some of them. If, you're, if you don't think you're one, you are one, and the reason I say that is because I am the chief weirdo of this group. I feel like sometimes I'm the weirdest person in the room, and let me give you one example for that. Has anyone here uh, run 100 miles before? No, okay. I want to tell you about I love to run. That's what, one of the things that makes me weird. I love to run. I love to run long distances. I love to be in the mountains or on the trails, wherever I can be. I love to run. So I want to tell you about a time I, wa- I personally watched a friend run 100 miles, okay? I want to tell you, tell you about that time. And so me, me and my brother were on this trail run, this race over on the, the uh, east side of Michigan. Here's proof in case you didn't believe that I actually ran this. There's me with the finishing medal. So we're there. And we're running along this trail. I don't know how we'd been out there for a couple hours. And I immediately pass, I, I come up on this, this trail, and I see somebody I think I know. And I'm like, this is crazy. So we get closer. We're running. We're running. We're running. We get closer. And sure enough, I'm like, I turn to my brother Joel. I'm like, that's Kendra. Like, I know Kendra. Kendra goes to our church. Like, I, I know Kendra. And so we're getting closer and closer and closer. And it is Kendra. I was like, oh, my gosh. And she goes, John? And I was like, Kendra, what are you doing here? She's like, I'm running 100 miles. What are you doing here? And I was like, I'm not running 100 miles. Uh, I was running a much shorter distance that day, but it was amazing. And here's the thing I've learned about from people like her and others who have run such distances. You never run 100 miles by yourself. You just don't do it. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly rare to see someone at a race like that, especially a local one, where they're not running with what you call a pacer which is a friend or a buddy or a coach, someone who will run with you to make sure you make it to the finish line. You may start the race alone, but you don't end it alone. And this is kind of this classic African proverb, right? Maybe you've heard this. If you want to go fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's why for all of September, we have focused, we put our attention around community. And why is it important in, in the Christian life to have community with other people? Why is it that God did not design us to do things alone? At the very beginning of the story, right, Adam and Eve, God says, it is not good for you to be alone. But last week we talked about, and even this week we'll talk about, there are some serious obstacles to that in our culture. 
There's obstacles to that in our own lives. Here's one, for example. Here's an obstacle to true community. We believe a lie that if anyone really knew me, they wouldn't love me. Now, you may be married and you believe that lie. You may have a great romantic relationship right now or awesome friend group or uh, call this church your church home. Whatever it is, that lie can creep into all of our lives. If, if anyone really knew me, they wouldn't love me. And you are not the first. I am not the first person to buy into that lie. In fact, like the human story starts in a garden. It starts Adam and Eve together walking literally with the presence of God, with God himself in, in Eden. And they're there and they're sharing life. They're in communion with one another. And, and God has created this beautiful garden on planet Earth to be a place of community where he dwells with his created friends. That's how the human story starts. But the human story also falls apart in the garden too. It, it falls apart. Sin enters the equation. We feel the consequences of this falling apart every single day. Every single time you're tempted, every single time you, you let out a harsh word to a friend or a spouse, every single time you do something you know you're not supposed to do, every single time you see another sort of injustice or brokenness on the news, we feel this decision every day. And so I want us to go there. Genesis 3, we're going to dive deep into this. And it's going to be probably a very familiar passage for almost all of us. But I want to look at it in a little bit of a different way. And this is what it says, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Right? Quick pause. God gives a very clear command. You got all this garden. This tree, don't touch it. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent begins to lie and says, you, you're not going to die. Like God just doesn't want you to be on par with him. Like you can go for it. So in verse 6, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. This is the moment in human in the human story in which sin enters the equation, where it begins to wield its devastating effects on all of us. It's right here. You see the moment. Don't eat this. They eat it. They introduce this autonomy like, hey, I would like to be my own God. I'd like to be my own leader. So I'm not going to believe what, Jesus, what God said about uh, what God said about this tree, I'm going to take it back into my own hands. I'm going to do the opposite of community, which is autonomy. It's independence. I'm going to do that instead of community with God. And then their eyes of both of them were opened. They, both of their eyes are open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, this is a moment, not just sin enters the human story, but shame as well. And it's a lie. I can't be fully known and fully loved. If God knew what I did, if he saw that I did eat from the fruit, he, he's not going to love me. He will reject me. He will cast me out. And so they, re they recognize not only is there brokenness between them and God, there's brokenness in human relationships as well. There's brokenness between Adam and Eve and the shame that they now carry 
See, ultimately, the, the choice that we're talking about here, Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve chose autonomy over community with God. I would like my own way instead of community. And we still ask questions like this. You may have never said it this way, but all of us, sometimes some of us on a daily basis ask this question of ourselves. Can I be fully known and fully loved? Can I be both fully known and fully loved? Not one or the other, not fully loved but not known, and not fully known but not truly loved and accepted, but can I be both? Can I be fully known and fully loved? See, the man or woman who's totally autonomous is also totally alone. We may crave independence, but once you get full-blown independence, you become totally alone, isolated, withdrawn from others. And here's the scary part. You can't be loved alone. You can't be loved alone. You can't experience the love of another person and of your creator unless you're in community with that person and that creator. You can't be loved alone. You can't disappear off the map, go off the grid, and truly experience love. This is God's question. This is why God asked him a question. Verse 8, Then the man and wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Can I ask you a question? How close do you have to be to someone to hear their footsteps? Really close. And in a garden with lush grass and Chacos at best, like they're, it, it's quiet. But it says that they heard God. They heard his presence. They, they sensed that he was close. This was the community they had, this walking together. They heard him and they hide from him. And in verse 9, God asks a stinging question. It says, but the Lord God called to the man, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Now, that's a funny question if you're so close you can hear someone's footsteps. I don't think this question is about geographic location, though. I think this question is about, Adam, where are you? Where's, where are you? Where's the you that we started this story with? Where's the you that I've created for relationship and community and, and walking with my daily presence all of the time? Where are you? And see, this is what happens all of our lives go this way if we're not careful. Autonomy turns me inward. It turns me in on myself. It, it focuses all of my love, all of my attention, all my energy on me. But community turns me outward. It turns me looking to other people. It turns me to say, how can I help the person next to me? How can I serve my spouse? How can I love my kids well? How can I lay down my life for the church and for the kingdom of God? How can I do that well? But autonomy is the opposite. It turns me inward. All the questions begin to center around me, how I'm doing, what I want, what I like, what I prefer. But community is the opposite. When you're in true community like Jesus designed us to live in, it turns us outward. Our lives become flipped inside out for the good of others and the glory of the kingdom of God. That is what's on the table in community. That's the invitation. It's the difference between isolation and being totally withdrawn but autonomous and being in honest, vulnerable, authentic relationships with other people in the body of Christ. Those are the differences. Now the word here, so my, my two-year-old Lennon loves to hide. Literally yesterday I walked in the room and she just covers her eyes. She's like, I'm hiding. I was like, you're really bad at hiding. <laughs> you should be better at hiding by this point. We've done it enough. 
But the word in, in Genesis 3 is not just hide like I'm, I'm kind of covering myself behind something to, to hide from you. The word there is a Hebrew word called haba. And haba really means to protect oneself, to build a wall around your life, to cover yourself. And that's what Adam and Eve, they do this. They haba, they cover themselves, they hide they build a wall around their life. They, they close others out. Sure, you've got autonomy. They are closing out any option for community with God and with one another. They, they are hiding from God because of the sin and the shame that they now carry. It's funny because all of us probably on some level, maybe you live with your neighbors or you live near your neighbors, have neighbors. And neighbors are a really interesting thing. So my wife and I bought our house a couple years ago. And we moved in, and I was kind of excited. I was like, man, it's going to be nice, like, being in a neighborhood, and there's sidewalks, and we can, our, our girls can grow up here, and all this, like, it's going to be so exciting. And then we are out in our backyard, that's that first summer, I think it was, maybe it was in the spring. We're outside, and I'm like, oh, I see our neighbors. They're coming over to us. They're walking over. And so they walk over, and I was like, Lindsay, here's our moment. We're going to, like, connect with our neighbors. We're going to be like... This awesome, like, power couple who's like, oh, yeah, we just moved in the neighborhood. You should be friends with us. Like, we're going to hang out all the time. It's going to be an amazing. You're going to be like our family away from family. So that's what was in my head. They walk over and like, hi, introduce themselves. And like, just so you know, we're pretty private people. You don't mess with us. We won't mess with you. And then they walked back to their house. I was like, okay. Like, any ounce of extroverted I had in me is just gone. You know, it's just, I was like, Okay, well, that's an interesting start to the relationship. Thank you for that. Um, but what, what is so funny, and maybe you've had the same experience, what's so funny is that over the years, as we've hung out outside, we've been on the front porch, we've walked past their house, we've had kids in that house, like we have gotten to know those neighbors better. And that autonomy that we once had and, and actually probably valued has given way to community. It's given way to relationship. Those same neighbors pray for us, take care of our house when we're gone, water the flowers, pick up the mail. Like that has happened over time. But eventually, somewhere along the way, there was a decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to be okay, which is you stay in your yard and I'll stay in mine. Now, the point of the sermon is not to be a good neighbor. That's a good thing. You should be a good neighbor. I hope that you're a good neighbor. But the point is, when we say that autonomy is better than community, we miss out on those most precious relationships, not just in the church, but in our whole life and with the Lord. Autonomy turns me inward. It keeps me focused on me, and community turns me outward. It opens the door for me to receive from God and to really get to know other people. This is why, as a church, we do something like groups or center cookouts this summer. It's not because, like, in some senior pastor playbook, you, like, have to run that play in the fall and the spring. Like, that's not at all why we, we do it, because we really believe that church and following Jesus is not just better when we're together. It's impossible alone. And so, centersyard.com slash group, you can sign up for that today. We want you to sign up for those today. We want you to say, hey, as those roll out over the next couple weekends, we want you to be a part of them. Not because we have some, like, obligation, but because we really believe you cannot follow Jesus by yourself, and you certainly can't grow in maturity by yourself either. And I, here's what I get. I get as soon as I say that, even this sermon series as a whole, 
there is probably a yellow or red flag going up in your mind. You're like, hold on a second. John, I have a story. I have an experience. I have a conversation in which I was trying to be open. I was trying to be unguarded. Or I confessed sin. Or I shared a struggle. Or I asked for prayer. And somebody turned me away. They rejected me. Or I looked around at the people in my church or in my small group or in my family. And I'm like, I don't want to be like them. Like, they've got sin in their life. They're imperfect. I don't like the way that they talk. I don't like the way they think. They've got stuff that's messed up. And they say they're a Christian. I 100% get that. I get it. And I'm a pastor. I get it. But I, I love what Eugene Peterson says about this very, very same thing. He writes this. There's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because... There's sin in the church, but there's also no other place to be a Christian. There's no other place. What other community has God established on earth for us to grow and expand his kingdom besides the church? I don't see another option. I don't see a plan B. So, yeah, there's sin in the church because you're here. <laughs> like, there's imper- imperfections in the church. I'm here. But that's the point. Autonomy though, turns us inward and says, Forget it. I'm not going to go there. They're imperfect. It's not ideal. It's not what I would prefer. And community says, you know what? It's never going to be ideal. It's never going to be what I prefer. But I know I need it. I create, I, I'm wired for it. See, autonomy, though, turns us inside. Community turns us outward. And so I was thinking about this. Like, we've been really candid as, as a family. Like, this summer has been really hard for us, even going into this, this fall, different family things and uh, challenges with our daughters. And I was thinking about this, like, why is it when you go through hard stuff, the tendency in all of us is to habah, it's to withdraw, to build a wall around our life. And I really can only think of two reasons. The first is this. We think autonomy will keep us safe. We think if we insulate and isolate, we'll be safer. No one's going to see through the cracks of my armor. No one's going to ask. No one's going to follow up on that prayer request. No one's going to say, hey, how are you doing with X, the thing you shared? But God's questions of, of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 are actually the opposite. He asks, where are you? Hey, I know you sinned. I, I know you have shame. I know there's struggles. I know there's brokenness in your life. I want to be close to you. I, where are you? Where are you? Where'd you go? Where are you? Like, I want you to have that presence with me. But the second, the second reason I think that we do this is that community or like facing outward is hard work. It's hard work. Man, just use small groups as it is hard to get little kids to want to go to small group. It is hard to throw a party. Like later, we have an amazing team of volunteers and leaders that put on this amazing event, like one of the best Sundays of the year. That's hard work. It doesn't just happen. But it's a community. It's an environment for us to get to know each other and build into relationships with each other. So it's totally worth it. It's totally worth the effort. It's totally worth the time. It's totally worth the money. And for you, maybe like thinking about joining a group or opening up your life to somebody else feels like hard work. It is hard work. It feels counterintuitive. It feels unsafe at times. It feels like a risk. That's because it is. And I want you to take it. Jesus has something for you on the other side of this. And that... That dream community, that ideal church, that perfect group 
is one of the things that actually keeps us from experiencing real community, experiencing what we can have when we open our lives to one another in the common bond of following Jesus. This series was inspired by a book called Life Together. In that book, it says this. The person who loves their dream of community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. The person who loves their dream of the community more than the community itself, the actual people in the seat next to you, not the ideal people in the seat next to you, not the perfect community. When you love the real people in your life, in your church family, it becomes so much better. But this broken mentality, I think there's this mentality that all of us have, that lie that we believe. It keeps us, honestly, from engaging God's in, engaging God in all sort of ways. Like, for instance, I've heard this. I can't show up to prayer on Wednesday because people may not may, may find out I'm not that good at prayer. I'm not that good at prayer. I, I don't pray that much. And if I come to a prayer night, it's like, oh, uh, I'm not there. And so I'm not going to go. Or... Or I can't join a group because people might discover our family is not quite as polished as we appear. We don't quite have it together. Our kids are not quite as perfect as, as people may think that they are. Or I can't get baptized because people might discover I'm not as spiritually mature as I look. I don't have it together in the same way that, that I want other people to believe that I do. I've heard all of those excuses verbatim, and I get them. I've been there. But you have to allow that broken mentality to be surrendered to the Lord if you ever want to grow in community. If you ever want to get over that obstacle to true community. Some of you know this, but um, every single Tuesday, as part of our network of churches, I go to a room and I have at least two, sometimes more, other pastors in our network critique and give me feedback on sermons. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah, you want to show up, you can come with me. You know, so... An open, open invitation. If you ever want to give me feedback on a sermon, I will receive it. I would love to grow. I, w- I want to get better. But I've kind of self, I've like submitted myself to this whole process. I remember the first couple years, I started here in 2017, the first couple years, literally almost every single Tuesday morning, the feedback was, John, you've got to share something about your life. John, you, you can't be so reserved and so private on stage. John. You got to be more transparent or share where you're struggling or share where God's teaching you this. It was all about opening myself to the community and, and not about like you need more autonomy. You need to be stronger. You need to be more independent on there. It's like, no, you need to be like one of one of us. And that feedback bugged me. I was like, I can be a good preacher without doing that. OK, like that's what I thought in my head. Like, like get off my back. I'm trying here. And I think the reason that that bugged me for so long and why I think Jesus has slowly helped me to truly change is because I wanted autonomy. I don't want people to know my stuff. I don't want to have to be open. It's, it's safer, it's easier, it's cleaner if people don't. But autonomy turns me inward. Community turns me outward. You know, I had a conversation, lunch with, with a friend from our church last, this past week. And, and was just asking about like their last couple of years here. And one of the questions I love to ask people who have been here for like more than one Sunday is like, why are you still here? Like, what what is it about this? Like, how is God using this church in your life is, is really the question. And, and they're from out of state and, and moved to Michigan recently. And, and the comment he made to me was this. 
we don't have any real immediate family in this area. And I was like, I feel you. I don't, I, my brother and sister-in-law are here, but besides that, none of our parents are here. It's kind of sometimes feels like we're on our own. And he said this, but Center has become our family. Center Church has become our family. It's become our immediate family. It's become the place we go when we need something. It's become the place that we can share struggles and be open as a family. Like that to me, that, that's why we're still doing all this. It, it is not to just have services. It's not to just check off a religious box that we have somewhere inside in our soul where it's like, I got to go to church. I got to do this. I got to get right with God. That's good. But we were created. Jesus affirms us over and over again. He's building this new community. He's building a family on the earth for the good of, of us. If we actually grow and the glory of the kingdom of God. Skip to the end of verse or the end of chapter three. If you have your Bible still out or you have your phone. This is what it says. This is Genesis three, verse twenty three. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Talking about Adam and Eve here. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. They, in this moment, at the end of chapter 3, are cut off from, from community with God and perfect community with one another. Sin enters the picture, and community from this point on is broken it's hard work, it takes intentionality, it's messy, and even our relationship with God is fractured. But look at the end of the story. If you think about the end, we talked about this last Sunday, Revelation 22. Just like in this moment, there is now an angel guarding the way to Eden. You can't get back in there. This same angel would have been painted on the veil, and it says when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross that the veil, the temple veil, the sanctuary veil was torn in two, and right in the middle of that veil would have been a picture of this cherubim, this angel. Do you see it? Because of what Jesus has done for all of us, because of the gospel, Jesus is day by day reopening Eden. Unguarded, you can have the presence of God in your life. You can walk with him. You can know him. You can have him so close you can hear his footsteps in your day. That is what is on the table. Like the longing of God's heart. If you sat down with God right now, the longing of his heart is to dwell with his people again. It's to dwell in your life again. It's to have his tangible presence mark your every day. To mark our church. To mark your small group. To mark your family. And here's the beautiful thing. This is why we call it Welcome Home Sunday. There is a God who fully knows you, and that's terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying. Knows everything, sees it all, knows your thoughts, knows your decisions, knows the stuff no one else knows about, knows the, the, the things you've had in your past and the things you'll do in your future. God knows all of it, and the gospel is this, and fully loves you. Fully knows you and fully loves you. And you can't do anything to change that. It is a fixed reality. And the gospel gets even better. Romans 5 says it this way. I love this. This is Paul writing. Listen to what he says. For if we, while we were God's what? Say this with me. God's what? Enemies. That's not just like estranged friends. That's someone running opposite to the way of God. 
God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved, rescued, redeemed through his life? How much more? Not just that God fully knows you and still loves you, but that says at one time you were enemies of God and through the cross he has made you a friend. The tangible presence of God restored in your life and in our church, in our community. Like he wants to walk with you again. So walk with you. He, he wants your life to face outward, other people and to him, not to be turned in on itself. And so the question I want to ask this is not rocket science, friends. This is simple stuff. But it's, this is the question. The first one is this. Where do you need to let the Lord in? Where do you need to let the Lord in? Now, for honestly, maybe today your, your next step is to repent of sin and to, and to ask Jesus to, to fill your life. And just to say, I've maybe never done that. Or maybe it's been a decade. I'm just saying, God, fill my life again. I do not want to live by myself. I do not want to live autonomous from you. I don't want to live independent from you. I need you. Maybe that's a step. Or maybe it's an area of sin. You need to let him in. You need to let him in. Say, God, I need your healing. I need your touch. I need your forgiveness. And maybe you have that part settled. That part feels settled today, which is amazing. Praise God. But the next step for many of us is to let someone in, someone else in. Say, God, I'm, I'm good with you, but I'm struggling with community. Maybe you don't feel like you have friends. Maybe you feel like you've done some stuff to like cut off people from your life or you've isolated, you've built a wall around your, your life or your family, and it's time. Maybe it's through a group. Maybe it's through something else. Just say, God, I'm just going to let some people in. Maybe they're sitting next to you. Maybe, maybe you invite them for lunch. Invite them to coffee. Maybe you go hang out with them and have a hot dog after service. Like, I don't... I don't know what your next step is, but but I know the right thing is to let the Lord in and to let somebody else in for all of us. And I've said this many times. I'll say this again. There's no way, no way that Lindsay and I would be standing the way we are standing today over this past summer of just tons of challenges as a family if we did not let the Lord into that and let other people into it. It just wouldn't have happened. It's not like it would have been harder. It wouldn't have been possible. And our lives are just like that. It doesn't matter if you're going through a massive crisis or not. you got to wrestle with that question, God, where do I need to let you in? Where do I need to, to remove the coverings? Just say, God, here, here I am. And where do you need to let some other, other people in too? I'd love to pray for us around that before we respond in worship. So if you would, why don't you join me? We're going to pray and just bring this stuff to God. So, Father, we just say thank you. Our hearts are full of gratitude, not because of what we have done, not because we're so great, but because of the fact that you fully know us and you love us and you want in today. And we let you in. We let you in. We say, God, you have access to our lives. You have access to our work day. You have access to our family conversations. You have access to our marriage and our singleness. You have access to our sexuality and our decisions and our money. You have access. We want to let you in. So, God, I pray that you'd help us in those areas that we just know we need you. We need your presence today. Give us the boldness just to say, God, I want to invite you in.
Because you promised to heal and to free and to set and to restore and to bind up those places of our life that we had previously closed off to you. And so, God, I pray, too, that there's some of us who need to take the bold step of community. We need to join a group. We need to stick around for lunch. We need to invite somebody to, to walk with us through the hard thing. And we need help, your help tearing down the walls, and you want to do that through other people. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to let some people in today, to let some people in, to not try to do it ourselves not try to move through this life and just pretend like we are strong enough, we're capable enough, we're competent enough. I just pray that, God, you, you create a spirit of an open heart in our lives today. We declare your name and your power and your healing over our community, over our church, over our family. God, we even let you in on the things that, as a church that we're, we're struggling with. We need your help in. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com slash new. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.